If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, welcome to the latest episode of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, just not sports. On today's show, we'll talk to snowboarding legend and Olympic gold medalist Kelly Clark about making her own furniture and which HGTV shows are the best. And you know I'm going to have a few opinions on that. And with the NBA playoffs heating up, we'll break down the basketball movie Above the Rim, which features the second greatest performance of Tupac's career right behind when he faked his death these past two decades. I'm your host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. And joining me on the phone this week, our two other hosts, who are not named Joe Reed, are, <laughs> uh, let's just say, our primetime PR guy, Adam Willard. Ooh. What about that intro, huh? Good? Thank you. I like that. Simple. Yeah. So should prime I say... Primetime PR guy. Should I say, primetime PR guy. Primetime PR guy. Oh, no, I got it. <laughs> yeah, I once owned... Uh, at one time, I owned 37 Deion Sanders trading cards, so I appreciate Damn, that. Nice. I did pay, I did pay for his album with all like real money. I didn't download it illegally, so Dion, you're welcome for that. Also with us in our Brooklyn bureau, I bought it twice. Yeah, <laughs> also with us in our Brooklyn bureau, it's our multiple-time Emmy-winning sports producer Gareth Hughes. Gareth, how many times have you bought Dion's album? Uh, I definitely illegally streamed that one. And or Spotify it. I have not paid money for that. Although, uh, preview for my upcoming distraction, one of the funniest tweets I've seen in the last year, especially after the election, was one guy said, I don't know what's going to happen with the death of the baby boomers, but I am convinced they will have to pay for the Beatles one more time. <laughs> and that is, <laughs> that is very funny. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, it, the, the, the the scene in Men in Black, right, where the, the, Tommy Lee Jones gets introduced to like a, a a CD the size of his thumbnail, and he's like, "Huh, gonna have to buy the White Album again." <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh, well. <laughs> all right. So on the open of the show, we don't just uh, you know do a standard open. We make it wide open, where anyone in the in the just not sports family can bring up something that's caught their attention in the sports world, around the sports world, or nowhere near the sports world. I'm going to start, boys. I asked you to do some homework on this because I had this debate recently with a friend. Oh, you know, it's golf season. Masters happened. People are excited about, you know, summer, getting outside. And few things scream golf and golf culture more than – the Caddyshack movies, and specifically the first Caddyshack movie, <laughs> since it's a, a tad better than the second one. But what you may not know is associated with those movies are two songs by Kenny Loggins. So in Caddyshack 1, the famous I'm Alright, which, uh, you know, is I think one of the more iconic songs associated with the movie. And then in part two, Kenny returns with Nobody's Fool, which, uh, let's just take a listen to it right now. You guys will probably know I'm Alright. You may not know this song. Going out, going 
All right, so I got to ask the guys. I wanted to bring this up cold. Adam, I'm going to start with you. Which of those Kenny Loggins Caddyshack theme songs is better? I really like Nobody's Fool. I, I okay. First of all, I'm going to be honest. I haven't heard either of the songs. I I'm sorry. <laughs> well, hold on a second. Should just should have just lied. Should have just lied. Gareth, Gareth, which one do you think is better? Adam, first of all, I've made my name on this podcast by weaseling out of all homework. So I do I would like to think that the official policy of Just on Sports is if you don't do the homework, just own that. So I appreciate you jumping in with that and just admitting to it. I did all the homework for this week. I even formatted, wrote down format notes for the show. Oh, and I actually have to agree with your false take. I think the one from Caddyshack 2 is a better chorus. I'm not saying it's a better song, but it is a catchier chorus. Uh, and in watching the video, it was the first I had ever seen of Caddyshack 2. And I didn't realize that Dan Aykroyd was in that movie. So, th- those are my yeah, thoughts. Yeah, Dan Aykroyd's perf- Dan Aykroyd's performance in Caddyshack Two is something we should probably do an entire segment on because it's really bad. But nobody's Gareth, fool is I a better you. song. Nobody's fool is a way better song. In fact, uh, you guys know other Brad, uh, my old roommate Brad, who yes, I met him at Bradley University. All that's true. Um, he thinks nobody's fool is a perfect song, <laughs> one of only four, I think that he ever de- describes as perfect. It's a way better theme song. And also, he says back to the shack in the lyrics. Oh. I really I really respect the movie soundtrack song that's like, "What's up? I'm just going to lay it on the table." Like, you're listening to <laughs> you're listening to a song about this movie. <laughs> like, who cares? Yeah. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I want to welcome everybody to the wild wild west. <laughs> Okay, no, that's too far. That shit's too far. Will Smith. Uh, How about Big Bad Wolf from Teen Wolf? I mean, pretty awesome. No, no, no. Teen Wolf had Win in the End, the song that plays during the final basketball. That's actually a pretty legit song. Also, Big (laughs) Bad Wolf playing at the prom. Yeah, well, hey, listen, we're we're not going to go down a full Bill Simmons, Teen Wolf, uh, you know, abyss here, but... I agree. I'm glad everyone's on the same page about nobody's fool. I was, I was expecting a much bigger fight, so we can move on. Uh, Adam, you got anything for wide open? You know, I have to I have to credit Brad Burke for this one because I did find myself um, going down a, a, a like I was obsessed with this Twitter conversation where Aaron Rodgers and this happens to be golf related said that he was going to play less golf and so he got a tweet from one of the biggest ambassadors in all of golf shooter mcgavin who says rogers (laughs) you know playing golf is a great way to stay in shape i remember i once ran three miles during a round of golf in 96 and plays the clip of the gigantic (laughs) man chasing him down the course to which Aaron replies, how much of a workout could it be if you got caught by that guy? Uh, and then the I'll let you guys read the chain, but I have to say that I am more of an Instagram and Facebook guy. Uh, but because of this particular conversation that Brad Burke posted to 
uh, the Just Not Sports handle. I'm going to keep an eye on more of these Twitter exchanges. Brad and I had quite the Twitter exchange a couple weeks ago, as a matter of fact. But um, What were we talking we'll, about? Uh, we'll, we'll let the readers... Oh, we were... We were talking about some something basketball-related, and it was like we basically got into the un- most undersized shooting guards in NBA history. NCAA history. It was during we, March Madness. Saying, so yeah, we were doing yeah. like Sean and, Resper we and Harold we, the Show Arsenault and like everyone from like 1994 to like 2002 when I stopped paying attention to that garbage. Juan Dixon. <laughs> it went on for two hours. <laughs> After the fact, I had tw- I, like I, I tweet maybe three times a year, honestly. And usually it's a retweet of um, something from the Just Not Sports handle. I had... 20 followers in two hours after this exchange so <laughs> thank you brad for engaging me on twitter you're welcome and shout out to matt santangelo the, the best one in my arsenal that i i forgot until like the next day and it was too late to jump back in okay garrett scotty thurman yeah scotty thurman very good gareth any anything for uh for wide open yeah speaking of things that come up on twitter uh this is a term that I originally heard from one of the East Coast's great sports directors of photography, uh, John Roche, or Wano, as he was nicknamed by one of the boxers he was covering on uh, 24-7 for HBO. Uh, and now I have only other, also seen on the Twitter feeds of DeSus and Mero, of the DeSus and Mero show, or the Bodega Boys, on vice are you guys familiar with the term brolic 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 so john roche is this like pretty ripped jersey dude and brolic means like a huge he describes like yo that is like brolic as in something's really big and like as he described a brolic steak and i thought he was making this word up and he was full of it but then recently as desus and Mero have taken off i saw them tweeting yo the brand is brolic and i was like holy shit he didn't make this word up so i looked it up on urban dictionary coming into tonight and there's a few He's right. That is what the word means. But there's a few definitions. And the most interesting is definition number three. Brolic. Term originally derived from the Dragon Ball Z cartoon, which featured a character named Broly or Broly, who is vastly superior to the other characters in size and power. Broly is an immensely powerful warrior capable of destroying planets. When used in reference to men, it is a compliment. Brolic. When he's in reference to women, it is a severe diss or insult, meaning the woman is manly or butch in some physical manner. Examples below, it goes on for a very long time. I will spare our readers the rest of that. But yeah, brolic, big, large in size or satisfaction. So that was my wide open. As you see that start to pop up in conversation, brolic the brand is brolic what have you that's what it means you guys i'm not gonna lie america is rome and we are burning (laughs) (laughs) bro i mean what yeah 
Hey, man, I love it. And uh, I love that we can trace it back to a Dragon Ball Z character. So. <laughs> I did, I did. I mean, I look. Awesome. I, I like that show. <laughs> I, I mean, I, uh, uh, yeah, I, you know, I like. Is what it is. <laughs> let's just, <laughs> let's just, let's just let it lie. All right, nothing else for wide open, right? <laughs> Boys, <enough>. that <laughs> no. segment was brolic. No. Yeah, that was brolic. <laughs> uh, okay, so. Uh, not brolic because it would be a a horrifying <laughs> it would be a horrifying slight is our uh, woman guest this week uh, Kelly Clark now she is one of the all-time greatest snowboarders in uh, in world history an Olympic gold medalist a multiple-time bronze medalist she is I ran into her a few months ago online just uh, I found this account that was linked to her that was making her own furniture really talented I mean she's doing really great stuff with woodworking blending metals in there uh, interesting, interesting materials. And so just, uh, you know, reached out to her folks and said, you know, can I talk about this? She, she made some time. She's, she's very busy training. You know, she's gearing up for, for another run at the Winter Olympics. But uh, we had a really good conversation. We definitely talked some HGTV. We definitely talked some Chip and Joanna on Fixer Upper. And so if you're a big fan of woodworking or just, you know, hobbies with your hands or just HGTV shows, which make you feel bad for not being able to even replace a light bulb in your house effectively. And then afterwards, we're going to break down a movie Adam Millard nominated for us to discuss above the rim. And all I have to say is this, guys. I have thoughts. Stick around for those. All right, I have to start with this. Um, I am an admitted HGTV DIY network addict, even though I have absolutely no DIY skills at all. And so <laughs> I, I'm just someone who is really impressed when, when people make that leap from, hey, I, I would love to make something in my own style, or I'd love to do this, and then they actually go do it. So first of all, congratulations on on your furniture making skills. And I, and I just want to go back to the origin point of when you first decided I'm gonna I'm gonna just get out there and do this because I can do it better than than what maybe what I see in the stores. Uh, yeah, I'm a HGTV fan as well, and um, you know I get I get that response a lot from people like how do you actually do what we see on TV or how do you just get started? And people are usually amazed at the stuff that I'll end up making and have in my house or, or just comp compliment what I have in my house. And then I say, Oh yeah, I actually, I made that. And, um, there's actually just getting out there and giving it a try is a huge step in the right direction. You'd be amazed at how easy it is to make some of that stuff happen. If you actually just take the time to explore. Um, and for me, I, I, uh, I lived somewhere where there was like a, a really short summer and mm -hmm. I started looking at, I started looking at deck furniture and I was like, well, my summer in Mammoth Lakes, California lasts about two and a half months if I'm lucky <laughs> and, and I'm going to buy deck furniture. And I started looking at it and I was like, so I'm going to spend this much on something I'm going to use for two months. 
And I was just like, you know, I, I don't even like this stuff that much, and I bet I can make it better. And so I actually, um, I just started messing around with palettes. That's how I got into it. You know, I think we've all kind of browsed the internet and watched all the kind of DIY stuff take place with palettes. And that's where I started making some deck furniture. And I, I made some stuff that was actually pretty cool. And I was like, wow, I could actually get into this. And that's, that's just how it started for me. I want to I want to dive more into your style and your process. I have to go back to HGTV for one second. So, are you like a rehab addict uh, fan, where, where Nicole's getting in there and, and 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 fixing old old woodwork? Are you a, a fixer upper uh, person? What's your What's your go to show? Uh, I'm a fixer upper man. I love oh, those yeah. guys. It's amazing. It's amazing what they can do. <laughs> it's like it's um, I, I love that show so much. <laughs> and uh, I love I love the uh, Harp Design Co. that they work with on that show. Clint, yeah. there, I, I uh, follow them on Instagram, and um, yeah, it's just it's just so cool. It's it's great to have, you know, something like HDTV and Instagram. You know, you can follow all those guys where you can just get so much inspiration for making your own stuff. When we post this show, I 100% promise that I'm going to be tweeting at Chip. To see if we can get you onto their show for like an integration, you know, like let's have you make a table, awesome. make a table or something with Joanna. Yeah, that would be amazing. Post uh, maybe post Olympics this next year; it'll uh, all come all come together. <laughs> I feel like I feel like when you watch those networks, you're either Team Property Brothers, Team Fixer Upper, or Team Flipper Flop, and I, I would rank them like Fixer Upper number one, and then I have a soft spot for Property Brothers, but I kind of feel like they their projects all kind of turn off the same, and then I'm. I'm all out on flipper flop like shots fired i just i don't like their style and I, I don't even care about the tabloid stuff it's just like i don't want a kitchen that's got like blue cabinets and uh backsplash i know is going to be out of season in like two weeks <laughs> yeah it's uh it's pretty cool that there's so many great shows and and so many uh creative ideas and creative people out there i bet everybody kind of finds themselves aligning with one one of those shows well so had you had experience with woodworking or metalworking before you started making the furniture? I mean, are you someone that dabbled um, uh, in your youth or, or took certain like classes growing up? Or is this something that when you went in, you went in like whole hog and just started from scratch? I just started from scratch. I, I've always been kind of a, a DIYer. Um, you know, I've always, I always kind of have that like, well, maybe I can do it. You know, well, let me give it a try before I ask someone <laughs> for help. I'm, I'm definitely that kind of person. Um, and I've, I've like renovated, um, a condo that I owned before. And, and so I, I'm definitely like, I would, I would be classified as handy, but mm -hmm. I definitely had no woodworking experience, um, or construction or, you know, I, I think I, well, I took like a shop class in high school and that's pretty much the extent of, <laughs> of my, uh, my training. And so it was, it was just kind of, um, you know, get my feet wet. And, and again, I, I just people just say, wow, I can't believe you made this. And I'm like, well, if more people tried it, I feel like they'd be pleasantly surprised with their ability to, to kind of, you know, start to see things come together. What was the hardest part of the learning curve for you? Um, gosh, you, you got to be okay with making mistakes because they just happen. And I, you honestly learn more from your mistakes. Um, you mm -hmm. know, that whole, you know, measure twice, cut once. That's, that's real. That's true. <laughs> you should do that. Um, <laughs> Um, you know, and especially like too, like working with wood, like um, you know, making sure that it's fully dried out, because you know, wood moves, and uh, there's just you got to be okay with with having to remake some things, and um, I guess that's kind of the the luxury that I have of of 
starting to make stuff for my own home because if it has imperfections, it's fine. Um, you know, but if once I start kind of giving it to friends as gifts and things, I'm like, I come a bit, I become a bit more concerned with the quality control. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you, I mean, did did you ever have a, a, a specific project that you spent a ton of time on and then had sort of a catastrophic mistake and just couldn't believe it? Uh, I had a dining room table warp out pretty bad once. Um, and I, I still, it's, I, I, I still need to fix it. Um, and I look at it and I'm like, oh, I could make this so much better now. And I think that's also part of it where I see the imperfections now and I see how much I've grown in my skill set. And I say, wow, I, I made this when I was just learning. And not only does it have imperfections and mistakes, like I can actually like make it much better now because I know what I'm doing. Um, so I, I find that actually more so than anything, more so than mistakes. I, I find the fact that I'm actually like developing my skills that I could make things much better than they are. And wood, to your point, I mean, even cut wood is a living, breathing thing. It expands, it contracts, uh, it, it's kind of always evolving. How much of, how much of, uh, as you, as you've progressed in this, how much do you have a great sort of sixth sense for the way wood may or may not change, and and therefore, do you allow yourself more patience or more, uh, uh, I guess, more uh, or change your thought process for how to use a particular piece uh, when you're when you're working with it? Um, you know, I play around definitely between making some outdoor furniture, which is a bit more exposed to the elements, and then obviously indoor stuff. But I mean, the rule of thumb is is just like you know, moisture affects wood. Whether you build something and then it gets exposed to moisture or the wood that you're working with isn't dry enough to be working with it yet. Because um, I end up working with a lot of slabs and drying out a lot of wood and different stuff like that through different kind of local mills where I live. Um, I'm always kind of scrounging up things. You know, I had, a, I had a neighbor cut down a giant redwood tree the other day, and I pulled up in my pickup truck and was like, hey, what are you doing with that wood? Can I get some, can I get some of those cookies? And he's like, sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you just kind of learn as you go, but I guess, you know, anytime moisture is is part of the equation you, you gotta account for that the, the the work that i've seen and it's a small sample size because i've been on your your instagram uh with the sparrow creative company the the style that i've seen from those pieces is is what i would describe as like a really interesting cross-section between naturalistic and industrial where you are you're using um you know wood you're, you're very much preserving a lot of the natural elements of the wood and yet you are also adding in really interesting metalwork how would you best characterize your style and how maybe has it evolved since you started? Um, I always kind of say it's like, you know, classic modern because mm -hmm. it has the, the wood elements, but it is, is a bit more modern where you've got some of the, um, the metal elements and the galvanized piping, which are always great. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm a avid coffee drinker and a hipster coffee shop connoisseur <laughs> and so you know i think i get a lot of inspiration from there one of my buddies owns a, a amazing coffee shop in mammoth california called black velvet and he he built everything in there and i took a lot of inspiration from him um and you know looking to repurpose things i, I think i really enjoy that too uh, a lot of the the tables and a lot of the stuff that i'll make will be you know in california we have um, a lot of beetle kill wood that that you know the trees have have died because of the beetles and, and they have to kind of be used up. And so um, I like the idea that you can kind of repurpose something, something that, you know, maybe 
was a tragedy at one point. Got to cut down this tree because it's dying. You know, you can make something beautiful out of it. And um, you know, even even to that, I, I love going to, to junkyards and, and finding different metal that can be kind of repurposed as well. You know, I've got a lot of tables that are have conveyor belt leg bases that um, you know make incredible coffee tables, but you know they're just sitting in the junkyard somewhere. So it's it's kind of fun just to to play with that stuff and and see what you can repurpose. I, I enjoy that. You know, if something gets uh, gets to live again. Oh, real quick, better smell walking into a coffee shop and smelling the like uh, the, you know the beans, or walking into a like a lumber uh, store and smelling the uh, the sawdust in the wood. Oh, the sawdust in the wood for sure. Yeah. I can I can walk around and browse um, mills and check out different slabs. You know, for so long I, I just I love it. There's I'm always amazed at how many different types of wood there are. Like it just you never would even know. You can just kind of cruise and see you know, things in a, in a whole new way and, and, and see so many different types of wood and grain and color. And it's, uh, yeah, I really enjoy it. What's the key to junkyard scrounging? Like, is there is there like a certain art to knowing what to look for or where to look? Uh, because I think that's something that the average person would be very intimidated to go do. But the folks that I know who do it well, um, we have a, a good friend, um, growing up, who used to make custom bikes in, in here in Chicago out of all sorts of, of really interesting materials, and and I, in talking to him, I, I got an appreciation for just how when you spot something, you you can sort of instantly take it to a place in your mind where you say, "This could be this." Um, so, what's the key for you in that process? Um, I think you it, it's helpful to have something in your mind that you know you're kind of interested in. So if you kind of go there with a plan, you can kind of find the thing that's going to make your plan happen. You know, like I'm looking for a side table. I'm looking for a base for a dining table or, um, you know, something or stools, you know, something like that. You kind of, if you have a plan in mind, you don't get overwhelmed by all the junk that you see. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's always really helpful. And I've always... um, uh, it, I found it hard, actually, to find good locations to go and scrounge um, and look for things. It's it's hard to find a, a good place that's safe, <laughs> that's clean, yeah. um, you know, that, that has actually really good stuff. So also, I would say, you know, find, find a good spot. Um, and, like, I kind of stay with the same location i have like my favorite spot that i go to and i wait until i can go back there and i'm like okay i make my list and i go and i i I cruise the yard again um you know once you find a good spot you know i would say maybe even ask around try and find a good spot because it's kind of trial and error and just kind of looking for to to score at a junkyard is is a little tricky you know even from a liability standpoint not everybody lets you um just kind of cruise the process of making making a piece um does it does it lend itself to a, a form of therapy? I mean, as an athlete, you are constantly dialed in physically and mentally to the, you know the science and the art of your sport. What, what is your process like to make a piece, and maybe how does it help you break free or better, I guess, um, uh, better grope with all the demands that are on you as a, as a, a high functioning professional athlete? I mean, honestly, that's a huge part of it for me. It, mm-hmm. it, it is like a form of therapy. It is um, my, my life is so 
kind of abstract. I have a very unique schedule. Um, I travel a whole lot out of the year. Um, I'm always kind of training and working towards one specific goal um, that sometimes it's four years away. You know, I always say I train 30 seconds for four years for a 30-second half-pipe run. <laughs> yeah. And and so you're not always accomplishing things all the time. You've got these big goals way out in the distance. And so I found with, with being able to um, – to build things, I get that sense of accomplishment, you know, and that, that kind of overlaps that I also enjoy from snowboarding as far as achieving things go. Um, I think, you know, snowboarding is unique in a sense where I get to be creative um, and I get to put my own style on it. And woodworking is like that as well. I get to be creative and I get to kind of express myself through it. There's room for kind of individualization and creativity in there. Um, but it, it really makes me feel like a normal person with my strange schedule and, and <laughs> lifestyle. Um, I, I love shutting myself up in my garage and just coming out a few hours later, you know, with some sort of something that I, that I built, that I made. It's, it's really, honestly, relaxing for me. Um, and I really enjoy having that that moment and having uh, that that kind of um, showpiece and something to talk about. You know, when I have people over, we can talk about how I made this and what it was like. And and I just love looking around my home and not seeing, like, pages of catalog. Like, oh, yeah, that's from this store, and that's from this store, yeah. and that's from this store. It's like that is one unique piece that you will never see anywhere else. Um, <laughs> and and so it's, it's just been really enjoyable. And I think uh, when I started everything – few years ago it was just kind of a hobby and I actually ended up having a, um, a pretty major hip surgery last year and I found myself with a lot more time on my hands than I was used to and so I, I really got to dive into it this last year and it, it really was um, kind of kept that that uh, sense of accomplishment and achievement alive while I kind of spent you know eight months recovering from my hip surgery. What's your process? Do you, do you like it to be kind of dead silent? You with the you with the the sort of um, ambient sounds of of the garage. Do you have music playing in the background? Do you like to be around people? Do you need to be alone? Like, what what is your your actual process behind making a piece? Um, you know, I I usually run headphones, um, and I'll listen to music or podcasts, um, and that that just kind of makes some of the mundane of it kind of pass whether yeah. you're standing for a few for a few hours or or just you know cutting the same length of wood over and over again or something like that it's or or uh you know uh working with polyurethane and letting stuff dry i don't know i, I enjoy listening to music while i do it and um i usually have my dog somewhere on hand uh she's usually sitting there watching me cut stuff and getting covered in sawdust as well <laughs> do you have a go-to podcast or a go-to band or, or group that you uh you'd recommend uh my podcast i'm like super nerd um i love uh stuff you should know if oh, yeah. you've ever listened to that yeah yeah that's that's probably one of my favorites that's like man i love those guys they're great <laughs> How about this? I have a, like an a, abnormal fear of splinters, which is a big reason why I refuse to handle like wood uh, very much. Uh, what are the? I guess I would say you know this can be a dangerous craft. Uh, how, as an athlete, have you ever had a second thought when taking on a particularly taxing project or something, or is it just hey no, d get that out of your head? Just just you know you know what you're doing, you're good. Um, I mean, you know, safety is kind of first and foremost whenever you're working with power tools. 
Um, and so I think you can be really safe. You just can never kind of bend the rules. Um, you just kind of got to stick to your, to, to what is functional. Never, never, um, say, oh, I'll just cut this where it is. You know, it's always get it in a safe location, make it stable, you know, clamp it down, all the different things, use a, use a push to cut stuff. So it's, it's just, uh, yeah, you never want to kind of cut corners <laughs> when it comes to that stuff. You know, I don't, I don't ever really worry about it. I just take the proper safety precautions and, um, you know, even with like proper eyewear, it's actually pretty great. I use my snowboard goggles with clear lens. Ah. Makes it makes it pretty easy. <laughs> That's ama- That is an amazing factoid there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how about this? So favorite project, um, you know, I'm sure they're all like your children in a certain way, so it's hard to just say, oh, I prefer the coffee table over the dining room table. But is there a favorite project in your home? And then what's your dream project? Like what, what's the one big thing you'd love to either make for someone or for yourself? Oh, that, gosh, that's a great question. I I built my dog a doghouse this summer, um, and I awesome. actually really en- enjoyed that. That um, I actually I call it like her hipster doghouse because it's like made out of, reclaimed fence wood oh and she's a a big um, dog it's a golden retriever right yeah she's a golden retriever and it's just like classic uh classic dog style she doesn't even use it it's just like a now like a showpiece in my backyard it's like hilarious (laughs) i'm like use the use the house and she's just like i'm good but it's got like a um sheet metal roof and um it's it looks awesome. It's, it's, it was really fun. I, I find in my inexperience, I tend to over-engineer things. And so that doghouse mm-hmm. is like the sturdiest, fanciest doghouse there ever was. Um, but I, I really enjoyed building that. That was fun and challenging and working with, you know, metal and roofing and stuff like that. I, that was kind of new um, for me. But I really enjoyed that one. And then, um, you know, my favorite thing probably in my home I think is the my coffee table in Mammoth is, you know, it's wide and flat and a big thick um, uh, pine slab and it's got the um, conveyor belt legs that are all kind of glossed and shellacked and um, I don't know that is just like a kind of a showstopper. I think that that's probably my my prettiest thing I've ever made. Um, I I have it on the list to to make a bed. That that's kind of like on my bucket list. Figure out how to do that. It's a little bit more complex well you did a headboard um, for it right if i'm looking at instagram right I, I didn't you have like some kind of reclaimed wood above your bed yeah i i've made headboards yep individually yeah. I've, i made a few of those and, and those are pretty great uh, a little tip actually for for people who are kind of aspiring um woodworkers there's i found that outside some of the big box stores um, some of the big box hardware stores, they do kind of sales on lumber that are warped or have marks on them or they can't sell individually. And there do these um, kind of bundle packages I've found that you can get, you know, I've got nice $300 worth of wood for 100 bucks because it's all kind of wood that they, they kind of deem um, damaged. And you can really just, if you're not super particular, you can come up with a lot of really great um wood without spending a lot of money so you know looking at those headboards that i made as far as materials they each cost me about 15 bucks to make so wow it's you know it doesn't have to be some huge investment um when you're like or daunting task to be like where am i going to find the wood it's expensive it's just if you can get a little creative like 
you know, all that stuff that, that I've made, it, it's so inexpensive in comparison to what you, you would buy. It's like a $15 headboard, but, you know, you'd buy it somewhere for a few hundred bucks. So um, <clears throat> that's my little pro tip for you. You know, look for the, the bundle sales outside the big box stores, and um, it's amazing the kind of stuff you can find. I love it. I love it. Hey, hey, Shipblat. Are you, uh, are you, do you like it up on walls? I know Joanna on Fixer Upper uses it all the time, or do you feel like it's, uh, it's not a, a timeless style? No, I think it's really timeless. Um, yeah, I'm playing around. I have an island in my house, and I was actually playing around with figuring out how to get some kind of reclaimed wood and whitewashing it to put around the bottom of it to yeah. get a little bit more char- character. Um, yeah, I think it's a, a definitely timeless, and it, it you can have, I, I'm a simple, clean, you know, look, um, I love that look and feel. So, you know, adding something like shiplap and something, you know, like some wood on the wall, just, just makes something much more homey. Um, and I think also too, talking about all the HD stuff, HD TV stuff and the design and everything, like I'm, I'm actually like looking at my homes. I'm like, ah, I, I think designing stuff is really difficult, but I love to build things. You know, I'd encourage people to just kind of find their, find their passion and go for it. Some people are really great about putting the whole room together. Um, for me, you know, I, I love actually just like producing something and then, you know, asking my friends to help me, you know, how, how do I make this room look cool? I've built all this stuff, but how do I put it <laughs> together? You know, it's like everybody's kind of got their skill set and just pulling the people around you to help you out. Did you ever make something for a friend and then like it so much you kept it? <laughs> no. <laughs> But uh, there's still time. There's still time. Well, I was gonna that. say, would you? I'm I'm the I'm the type of person that if I was out to make something for a friend and I really liked it, I'd be like, uh, I'll just buy him something and get and keep this bad boy. <laughs> no, I haven't got I haven't uh, got gotten that far <laughs> yet or, or stooped to that low yet. How about last question here uh, before I ask about the future here? Uh, are is there is there anything you've made that's in someone's home, like a famous person or another athlete that we would know that you that, that you know you'd like to fill us in on? Um, I don't think, I don't think I have anything in any famous people's homes. Um, no, I haven't, I haven't given anything to any of my friends that are kind of high profile that anybody would know. All right. Well, shots fired. So your famous friends who listen to this are going to be like, where, where do I sign up? When do I, when do I get something from the house? (laughs) I have a lot of my friends are like, Hey, uh, when are you going to make me a headboard? Hey, I'll buy that from you. Like, Make me something. I have a lot of requests, but uh, I've been pretty full on. Actually, my my even my Instagram has slowed down a lot between my hip surgery and my my last winter season. I haven't posted a while, but you know, after this, I'm kind of feeling inspired. I got to pick that back. Yeah, up and you know what? Get, I was get my Instagram going again. I was gonna give you a little bit of a hard time about it because it, it was it was kind of full steam ahead, and then it slow it does slow down. So. Uh, your your friends here at Just Not Sports are going to be tweeting at you every every so often. If, if if it starts to go down a little bit, we're going to be like, "Hey, we know you're in the garage making something. We got to see it." Yeah, well, actually, it's good now. I can pick it back up because I, I don't have uh, to make things to shoot photos of. I have a lot of stuff made. I just haven't been uh, docu- documenting it, so I'll, I'll get it out. But uh, feel free to send me <laughs> reminders whenever. What are your ambitions for this? Where, where do you want to take? Where do you want to take uh, your your furniture making, your woodworking after your career is over? 
you know, honestly, I, I'm not entirely sure. I think any time you turn something from a hobby into a profession, it, it changes the dynamics of it a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so I don't, I don't know if I'll ever head down that road. I know one thing that I would like to do is I, I would like to actually take some some kind of formal formal uh, training and, and classes. I, w- I would love to, to learn and educate myself more, both with woodworking and with metalworking. I would love to maybe even take a welding class and learn how to do that. Um, I-, I could see myself kind of getting some education and, and maybe reevaluating once I finish snowboarding in, in a few years here. That's awesome. And we encourage everyone to follow you. I mean, there's the Sparrow Creative Co., which is um, on Instagram with a lot of your woodworking. And then you're on uh, Instagram, I believe, at the Kelly Clark and Twitter at Kelly Clark FDN. And then there's the KellyClarkFoundation.org. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the work you do there? Um, yeah. I started the Kelly Clark Foundation in 2010. And um, I, I had had a very successful snowboarding career up until that point, And um, I had a lot of accomplishments and um medals and different experiences that were really amazing uh but i kind of looked around and i thought you know what am i going to look back uh, on my snowboard career and just see you know a bunch of kind of contest results and and records and medals I, I just didn't see how that was um the best way i could spend my career i thought well, i want to i want to invest in something that kind of outlasts my ability to perform and so i started the foundation with the hopes of um, creating opportunity, you know, I think snowboarding is an expensive sport, and I wanted to help kids get out on the hill that couldn't afford it um, at an entry level and also um, at a high competition level. So uh, we give give grants to kids that want to further their kind of education and snowboarding dreams. Um, a lot of we are working families in mountain towns so that can't afford to give the kids the coaching and, and um kind of the leg up they need to, to kind of pursue the expensive sport. And then we create access by partnering with snow-related nonprofits and get underserved youth out on the hill. So just, you know, I just wanted to get kids out on the hill, experience a sport that I love, and, and really just build something bigger than myself. Well, it's great work, and, and your, your your woodworking is amazing. We can't thank you enough for giving us so much time, and we just, you know, I, I, I encourage you to get out in the garage as much as possible with, with the summer and uh, your, your two months of summer. And uh, I hope, I wish you nothing but the best, uh, uh, making as much as you can. All right. Thank you so much. The NBA playoffs are heating up, which means people are talking nonstop about Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, LeBron James, and all your favorite stars. But nobody is talking enough about the truly biggest names in basketball. I speak, of course, of Marlon Waynes, Dwayne Martin, some guy named Leon, and of course, Tupac Shakur. (laughs) This was the cast of Above the Rim, the fabled 1994 movie that chronicled life on the court and on the streets for a group of up-and-coming hoops stars. Or as you may know it, the 90s basketball movie with a bunch of black people who weren't Denzel Washington or Ray Allen. I can't believe you slighted Bernie (laughs) Mac like that. (laughs) We'll we'll get to Bernie Mac. All right, so we're going to break this movie down. We're going to go deep here. But to start, Adam, I want to dig out an old favorite game of ours. It's called, Does That Make Me Racist? (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, 
The answer is yes. Okay. I'm already predicting that. Adam. Uh, some guy named Leon <laughs> truly said, I mean, we could just we could talk about Leon's 90s movies career <laughs> for 10 minutes, I, but we won't. Adam. But Adam, sure, Brad, go ahead. Adam, first of all, we could not. <laughs> I can listen, <laughs> but I don't have a <laughs> You people I don't have can. a lot <laughs> I don't have a lot to say. Uh you know, I had never even heard of this movie. And I've seen Pretty much all of the Tupac movies. I'm not joking. I had never even heard of this movie. So when I started watching it, I was like, how did this escape me? I mean, I've even seen Basketball Diaries. So I guess I have answered my question. I am racist. Yeah, you are. <laughs> or, or, well, but I Listen, the way I found out about that this movie existed was because the song Regulator, or Regulate, What's the name of the song? I, let's say Regulator by Warren G. and Nate Dogg was on the soundtrack of this movie. Yes. And in the video, the original video, there's scene after scene from the Above the Rim movie. That's the only way I knew about it in the suburbs of Denver, Colorado. I, I didn't grow up in Harlem. There weren't posters outside of my house about above the rim I saw well that's that's what i was gonna say i knew about this movie first because of the soundtrack because i was really into rap music in the 90s and honestly like that was such a big marketing tool like it was like the movie posse by mario van peebles like i found out about that because of the soundtrack this movie was because of the soundtrack the deep cover soundtrack Starring, I believe, what is it, John Lithgow and uh, and Denzel Washington. Like, that was the first time the Snoop Dogg appeared on a rap song. Like, so that's where those soundtracks were a huge part of marketing movies back in the 90s, especially with a rap song on it. John Lithgow was it an Omar? Wasn't it Omar Epps? I, I all I remember is John Lithgow, a black dude, and Snoop Dogg and Dre doing deep cover on the soundtrack. Tonight's the night we get in some deep shit. Deep cover on the incognito tip, and then it was one eight seven on a motherfucking cop. Yeah, that was that was. So we're off the rails already. Was, I'm not yeah, trying to do this. That was Snoop's debut. But, no, that was Snoop's yep. debut even before Nothing But a J G. Yeah, that was the yep. first time so Adam, he appeared. I, Absolutely. Adam, I actually thought this movie. Oh, it's Lawrence Fishburne. I am racist. Movie. Damn. Oh. Damn, that sucks. Oh, well, we're going to leave that in for posterity. So. It wasn't Wait, Denzel happened? Washington. Deep Cover was. Uh, uh, it was. Well, it was racist on both counts. It was Jeff Goldblum and Lawrence Fishburne. So I got that all wrong. At least I was racist uh, towards the white well, guy too. That's so. okay. All right, so back to above the room. Okay. All right, Gary. Since this is the first time you've actually watched a movie we wanted to talk about on the show, why don't you briefly walk our audience in like thirty seconds? Give us the synopsis <laughs> of the story. This is also us testing if you're actually bullshitting us or telling the truth. Okay, so Shep and his boy Nutso uh, grew up playing basketball together in new york and uh nutso died in a freak fourth story fall from a basketball court through a plate glass window um 
yeah, I got I got thoughts on this. We're coming right you know, back to okay. you. Let me, but let, me, let me prove my point here. So Shep is haunted by the memories of his boy Nutso's death. And so he works as a custodian <laughs> at this high school where Kyle is the basketball star. He's trying to balance his life, uh, as, as his goals of going to Georgetown, which should date this because Georgetown was good. Uh, and uh, basically coming up as a basketball star in the city and trying to have a little bit of a life on the streets. Uh, Tupac plays Birdie. Uh, Bird, yeah, a yes, thug Bird. who's trying to sway Kyle into playing on his street ball team. Wait a second. Again, because we're get this is going to. Well, get the use of thug is always a dog whistle. He's not. You make thug. Thug. Thug is like a Batman henchman. Okay. Birdie is a criminal and drug kingpin look let me say the following the but only reason i use the word thug to a common look criminal. thug is one of the grossest words because he's black used in relation to sports it is basically uh most of it's really a way for white people to use the n-word while talking about athletes without using the n-word the only reason I use it in relation to Tupac is because he had the Thug Life tattoo, uh, which he made iconic. And I frankly love Tupac. He's most of what I want to talk about in here. So Tupac plays Birdie, who is a, a let's say, a kingpin in New York. Uh, he's trying to sway Kyle to be on his team for the streetball tournament. It is revealed that Shep is actually Birdie's older brother. Uh, the coach is trying to get Shep to take over uh, the school uh, as the coach after him. And just so you know, I didn't just read all this off the Wikipedia entry. There's a scene where he brings Shep in working as the custodian alone to the gym, and they have this conversation. Coach also invites him into his office for a beer. At one point, he turns down the beer. Uh, at the end, Kyle is playing against... Uh, Birdie's team. There's a few other ancillary characters, uh, but Kyle is playing against Birdie's team. He's not. He they're winning. Birdie basically says, "If you don't throw this game, this is your last game." Shep shows up, wears khakis to play in the end of the game. You've never seen a basketball player wearing khakis play this fucking good. Or actually, as my notes put it, Shep is wearing fucking khakis. Three exclamation points. Uh, Kyle says to him, it's only a game. He says, not tonight. I think he knows what the stakes are more than his young protege. Uh, Shep kicks ass. Basically, Kyle takes gets an alley-oop for the last shot. They win. They beat Birdie's team. Birdie has his main henchman go, and just as he's about to shoot Kyle, Shep jumps in front, blocks the bullet, saving the young basketball star, who ends up going on to Georgetown. It is revealed that Shep lives through and things end somewhat happily ever after. That is your movie of Above the Rim. Wait. How'd I do? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Key scene. Marlon Wayans, who plays Boogaloo, shoots Tupac's character, Birdie, ending his reign as a criminal kingpin. Um, 
Yeah, Boogaloo then just like sort of off. That's the thing. Him. That's the thing you're gonna say is poorly done. I don't know why I haven't been asked more questions about this movie already. Okay, Adam. Ahead, Adam, I want I want to ask you about the dream sequence at the beginning. <laughs> okay, so just to set up for our listeners, it's two guys seemingly playing basketball on a roof. The one guy challenges the other guy yes. to slap the backboard. <laughs> he jumps off the roof. Adam, yeah. Adam, is this the most preventable movie death in history? <laughs> yes. But you're talking about two guys. You're talking about... I don't think you're really understanding these characters, Brad. <laughs> I don't. Um, on the one hand, I, I would like to I'd like finish my my sentence on I'd like to kind of finish my analysis about this scene since you asked me a goddamn question I'm gonna answer it uh Thomas <laughs> Shepard is a high school basketball star um he's got a lot of ego um he is impressed at this point probably 16 17 is nuts filled with semen and testosterone and uh, bravado, and he challenges his friend, who, by the way, is nicknamed Nutso, so let's not assume he has any common sense. There is a hoop on the roof, which, dangerous, but I think that's the point, Brad. Um, Somehow, Thomas Shepard manages, every time he touches the backboard, to go straight up in the air and touch the backboard at its height, but Nutso, um, not understanding the simple laws of gravity, <laughs> decides he's going to take a full run at a wood backboard and finds himself surprised when his momentum carries himself forward through the flimsy wood and he falls several stories off the building to his death. And for the rest of the movie, Thomas Shepard uh, you guys might joke, but PTSD is no laughing <laughs> matter. He watched his friend f- stupidly fall off a roof and die. That is going to scar anyone emotionally. Adam, so the entire time, you go the entire judging time, this, the entire time in this movie, I, I thought yes. that was a literal dream, and that only later did I realize, oh my gosh, no, they want us to think that that guy just didn't turn that basketball hoop back toward the middle part of the roof before he jumped off the side. Yeah. No, that really happened. It was the only zoning in Harlem at that particular time only allowed you to place hoops on the edge of of a roof unless you had a license. So... um, (laughs) That's why it was positioned that way and why Nutso fell to his death, just for a little historical context. So, Adam, why would he be punishing himself the rest of his life, the guy who survived this, by going to basketball courts and then playing basketball games by himself with no ball? Why is he playing basketball with no ball? Yeah. I... I think I explained, Brad, that he's suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. And so, much like a Vietnam veteran would, uh, whether he wants to or not, reenact the, uh, 
his tra- most traumatic memories. This is what Shep is doing. So he has this tremendous survivor's guilt from this incident that doesn't allow him to truly be involved with basketball in terms of like the pain of holding a basketball itself is too much for him. So he mock plays basketball against against a non-existent nutso on the playgrounds of Harlem <laughs> as a way to uh, to get through this traumatic experience that he went through. And I don't really see why this is funny. Damn, Adam. No, it's funny. I mean, look, I shouldn't be I shouldn't be laughing because this entire movie is a very serious study in PTSD. Like when Bernie Mac calls the other dudes a cat dick motherfucker. Shep, Shep, the kid erased what we were, man. All right, so... The kid erased what we were. Shep, the kid erased what we were, man. Adam and Gareth, I'm going to put this out there. We've gone this far in this conversation, and no one, no one has mentioned what this movie is actually about. It's a it's a real life portrayal of Eric Montross, former North Carolina center and star of the 1993 UNC championship team, as portrayed by Eric Nice, the host of MTV's The Grind and a member of Real yes. Real World Season One. <laughs> oh, I've got I have so many other cameos for you, but yes, Eric Nice who. Uh, yeah, he is a real life model, but happened to be a pretty good basketball player himself. He doesn't. Ha- he actually is not given a real name or, or a first name in the movie. He's just called Montrose, <laughs> and um, the character Kyle, played by Dwayne Martin, is so upset every time he places he plays against Montrose because Montrose has a scholarship locked up to go to the University of North Carolina, and. Dwayne Martin or Kyle, uh, who is conceivably a McDonald's All-American, has zero recruiting um, offers. In fact, his only other option besides Georgetown happens to be City College, where he tells his ma, they ain't got a team there, ma. <laughs> Look, the the whole Eric Nice as, as a Montrose going to UNC is super, super jarring. Also, they those teams play each other twice in like the first forty minutes of the movie. It's very, res, it very much <laughs> resembles the Michael Jordan TV movie we watched of like a month ago, where it's just clear they filmed all the basketball scenes in one day. And I was just like, this movie's got Tupac in it. Like they couldn't afford to do a better job with any of this stuff. And apparently, no, because the, the the entire movie plays like a a bad lifetime movie that you'd watch. I agree with that. On TV. Now, you're right. Well, here's he, here's the really confusing thing about this movie and it I have an interesting parallel to draw to this is kind of like the uh less than 6 degrees of separation in this case, but there's so there's there's the there's the high school element of it, but of course the real pivotal turn of the pivotal basketball in this game is around this uh, five on five street tournament, which you would think resulted in who got control of the city. Like you would think this is like the movie, the air up there where they're basically fighting for the village. Um, Tupac 
really wants Kyle to be on his team. Kyle realizes last minute, not the right thing to do. He goes and plays for his high school coach's team. They win. A few other things happen, and justice is restored. Is, are there Ill, any real-life scenarios that I'm missing where these kind of street tournaments result in life or death? Well, not well, a where five high on school five players tournament. with formal coaching, where high school players with formal coaching like play on them. This guy's like going to Georgetown, and he's risking his life in this like street basketball tournament. I, I I never understood it. I just don't understand a single thing about the end. In fact, the entire thing in the end, I was like, well, this must this movie must be three hours long, and we're halfway through. And then I was like, wait, that was the end of the movie? <laughs> what? I actually had no problem with the end of the basketball game and then the shooting that happened on the court it was when bugaloo went and shot uh birdie's character that was just so tacked on and there was nothing preceding it It was basically like smash cut to him shooting tupac and then tupac dies i was like god man tupac deserves a better death scene than that i mean this is one of the most charismatic actors of his generation, he had already done Juice, which I think is his best performance. That is pretty incredible. Uh, that well, Gareth, let me jump in. And let me jump into this with you real quick on Tupac. Because number, well, first of all, a quick aside: that's not the most ridiculous shooting in this movie. The most ridiculous shooting is the dude with khakis hitting more threes in five minutes than Clay Thompson, like against OKC last year when he went like 50 of them in, in game six. Dude went off in Dockers. (laughs) Yeah. Tupac. First of all, they, they weren't all threes. They were all jumpers. I would say he played a very Bob McAdoo like game. (laughs) Tupac or what Gareth, Gareth, is Tupac a good actor or not a good actor? I just, well, I think, I, I don't know if he was, look, he, I'm going to give some the closest I can to serious analysis here. I don't know if Tupac was a good actor in the sense that he had a lot of range, but he was an incredibly charismatic person. And when he was on screen, and I mean this seriously, like, what else are you going to look at? You know, when he was talking... What else were you going to listen to? He always held your attention. His terrible, his terrible fake scar. You could not look away from his terrible fake scar. Yeah, yeah. I know. I I, I know. <laughs> Gareth, I know exactly what you're saying. It's much. It's much like Vin Diesel. <laughs> right, right, right. Or look, The Rock uh, got time to develop. Like The Rock was what that WWE guy. And now he's a legitimately good actor, but that's because he led with charisma for long enough to learn how to act. I think Tupac could have done the same, and he would have had an actually interesting acting career. Um, eventually, if he... But honestly, I, th- I really did think he showed... I, I, I think people forget about the movie Poetic Justice, and I really do think he, he showed some range in that movie. It was He was, I mean, a first-time actor... Um, but pretty impressive debut performance. Yeah, and like I, I mean, look, uh, look, that movie has its issues. No, uh, I think also John Singleton's career fell off really fast in a bizarre way. But I don't want this to degenerate into a, a canon or something like that. I just think that, 
Look, I think Tupac, based off the very few movies he did, uh, Juice, Poetic Justice, Above the Rim, uh, I'm probably forgetting a couple others, could have been a very good and compelling actor. We will just never know. So, If I was going to power rank the rappers from that era and their acting, and it was Ice-T, Ice Cube, and Tupac, I'd probably put Tupac third. I mean, honestly, I think Ice Cube is the best. And I think Ice T, grad, I mean, I I think, I don't think there's anything Tupac does in this movie that I would compare to like Ice T and New Jack City, right? Well, yeah, I think you guys are forgetting one one important movie um, Red Man and Method Man's How High. <laughs> um, I don't know how that. Well, we all know we all know that there's only one super respected rapper from the '90s who went on to get an Oscar nomination, and that was Marky Mark. That's <laughs> 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 true. That's <laughs> true. Wow. That, yeah. Great point. Uh, well, I'll tell you. So I'll tell you my favorite. Like uh, my favorite uh, part of this movie is Wood Harris. So. Wood Harris, in case you have no idea what I'm talking about, which I wouldn't expect you to, plays truly the thug in the movie uh, Mota, who is Tupac, or Birdie's right-hand man. He uh, becomes the star of uh, Birdie's team um, and is the person who tries to shoot Kyle at the end, uh, finds himself shot down by police. Wood Harris would go on to uh, be cast in the, the hit HBO show The Wire as uh, Avon Barksdale. If you remember, within the first five episodes, I think actually the first two episodes, Avon Barksdale is seen recruiting a young basketball player. He coaches, player, right? Uh, in his gym to be part of his street basketball tournament. That is for control of Baltimore. I, I actually... So, interesting how that storyline continued with a very minor character, but I, I wait, quite So, two questions then, Adam. One, is all of... Could all of Above the Rim be seen as a prequel to The Wire? Do they take place in the same universe? Of course they do, yes. And... As it turns out, Mota was th- presumed dead, <laughs> goes away, resurfaces in Baltimore as Avon Barksdale, creates, uh, no wonder nobody knew who this Avon Barksdale I like character this. was. He was a low-level low thug yes. out yeah. of New York who then surfaces as the drug kingpin of Baltimore and decides to have his own basketball game, which ironically is the first time that the cops see Avon Barksdale. Oh, yes. Yes. That scene also has one of my favorite exchanges in all of the wire because Proposition Joe is the opposing coach and Avon Barksdale jokes like, look at this motherfucker out here looking like he's Pat Riley or something because he's wearing a suit. And Proposition Joe just goes, hey, look yeah, the part, be the part, motherfucker. <laughs> and that is, <laughs> that is some good wire right there. Every time I saw him, 
Adam, every time I saw him, I was just like Avon Barksdale's in this movie. I mean, I, he he's so magnetic in that role that like it's impossible to like, kind of retcon him into some other role. And I kind of feel the same way with every time in 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 the future after this movie that I saw Bernie Mac, I thought he's just still that homeless guy who plays a game of ball and calls people cat dick motherfucker. Well, I do have to say, with Wood Harris playing Motob, the the hardest I laughed in watching this movie uh, was when he beats the shit out of that dude and he gets back in the car and he turns to Buckaloo and he goes, you see that? I'm a motherfucking soldier. And Marlon Wayne just is like, you need a, a role model or a hug or something. And I, hug I laughed out loud at that. Real quick acting note, because you re- said earlier a guy named Leon. Leon had a streak of movies during the 1990s. The Five Heartbeats, Cool Runnings, Cliffhanger, yes. Above the Rim, and Waiting to Exhale. He's just not some dude. Leon is the shit. Uh, That's all. Look, he That's all I got. in the scene in the restaurant where he meets the mom... And he, and he talks to her for the first time. He legit looks like he's going to murder her, and I was worried. I was like, <laughs> I was like, leave, leave this situation, mom. And so the whole time the kids upset, there was nothing like a, an authentic romance that seemed to be developing. It, it, the whole time I was just like, he's gonna strangle her in his sleep and then play basketball with her severed head. <laughs> I also want to bring I also want to bring this up. At the end of this movie is what I would consider to be there's no other way to describe it except this movie ends with about 15 straight minutes of Georgetown basketball highlights. Yeah, it, it is weird. It is really weird. The movie ends. It's got some serious act 3 problems. <laughs> yeah, it ends with he's off to college and instead of just being like, "Yep, he's off to college." It's like we're going to show you hitting a game-winning shot at Georgetown and then show 15 straight replays of it from different angles and then weave in one shot of Bill Raftery being like, put, put it down, big fella. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful. And the mom and the, and the, mom uh, and the, and the crazy guy are, are watching it on TV. They're not even excited. And I'm like, they just want a conference championship on their home court somehow, even though the big, even the biggies was famously played at Madison Square Garden at that time. <laughs> it is one. Well, that's what I was gonna ask. This appears to be a game they can get to, and yet they are at a bar watching the game because, oh, the one thing we didn't talk about in this movie, Kyle is a fucking asshole. The entire movie. I mean, even by high school basketball. Uh, diva standards. He is a jerk the entire movie. Like Karate Kid Daniel LaRusso type whining jerkiness. Well, look, at the risk of sounding, you know, uh, you know, just, just telling it like it is, Adam, that's why Montrose got the scholarship to UNC. So he's a gritty, <laughs> he's a gritty gym rat. He's a team guy. He's a film guy, film room Really studier. high IQ. And... Yeah, high high basketball IQ, whereas the other guy was, you know, just instinctual, athletic, raw athleticism, <laughs> maybe, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe more of a brawler than a 
been a, st- a, a strategist on the court. You know what I mean? I mean, no, nothing, <laughs> nothing loaded yeah. about that, right? <laughs> Got, it. Got it. Got it. Uh, can we are so are we done? Uh, in in one second, the the last thing I want to throw out there is this. There's a scene when the lead the lead player Dwayne, <laughs> is that his name in the movie or is that the act Dwayne Martin? Um, Kyle is the okay the Kyle. Yeah. yeah, he's talking shit to Leon. <laughs> I know that's not his character's name, but I don't care. <laughs> so he's talking a bunch of shit to him, and he's like Thomas. Yep. He's like shooting hoops while the the security guard watches him, and he's just like, he's like, you like this old man. And he hits what I can I can only describe as a four foot jumper. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like, this movie could not even afford to move the camera wider to where they could, he could shoot a ten foot shot or something. It's it's unbelievable, man. This movie is dog shit. There's nothing redeemable Whoa. about it. Normally, I'm like ready to have a good time with it. I just think skip this one. Watch the Michael Jordan TV movie instead. Ernie Hudson's in that one. This again proves my point about Brad and his his analysis of movies. We wa- you made us watch Thunderstruck, <laughs> and I had to. Hear that was a about great. That was cinema. That was a. That was cinema, not a not yeah. a movie. That was cinema. <laughs> Fent- right, and what an understated <laughs> performance Kevin Durant gave. If if above the rim. Stars Damon Stoudemire. I'm all or in. Stephon Marbury. I'm all it's, in. It's your favorite basketball movie of all time. But because there's not enough athlete star power in this for you, you don't like it. Here's what I would do to close this out. You guys ready? Here's what I would do. I would have recast this movie. I would have cast Tupac as the player. And I would have cast uh, Cedric Sabalos as Tupac. Problem solved. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> and on that note. Hey, we're gonna- hey, hey, Cedric. Cedric. Brad really wants you to come on the show, man. I mean, I, uh, I don't know what it's going to take. On that note, we will take a quick break, and we'll come back with our distractions right for this. And we are back. In the sports world, we often hear of athletes and coaches and media doing cool, interesting things, and then they're immediately hammered by fans who think they're just being a distraction. That's ridiculous. Life is just work and the things that distract us from work. So right now we're going to break down our distractions and what is distracting us this week. I'm going to start. I got into S-Town. Gareth, Adam, are you into this podcast? Yeah, I listened to it. Yes, yeah, fantastic. Okay, I'm like in episode three. It's fine. You know, it's not like my favorite thing in the world, but I'm like, yeah, sure, technically good. He's doing storytelling. Here's what I don't understand about myself. So I, I'm actually hoping for some self-reflection here. Uh, I had no problem with S-Town, like ethically, but a lot of people do. And they're really hammering the show for kind of diving into this guy's personal life. And we're not going to spoil it. If you want to get into the show, it is what it is. I had a lot of ethical oh, problems. I had a lot of ethical problems with missing Richard Simmons. And I thought that went way too far into Richard Simmons' life. So riddle me this. Why do I defend the one and not defend the other as journalistic art that gets a pass for its voyeurism? I, have, I, I think this is really easy. And I, I haven't read any of the people hammering S-Town, but it's pretty simple in my mind, which is 
One is about tracking down a guy who does not want to be tracked down. And the other right. follows the story of a guy who sent numerous solicitations to a reporter to come tell the story of his life and his town. Like, that's pretty basic to me. This guy laid open his whole life. Now, look, you can argue why he did it. You can argue if he had mental problems or, you know, mercury poisoning or whatever. But the whole point is he reached out to Brian Reed. I think it's honestly one of the most interesting parts of it is just that, look, you've all, Brad, you worked as a reporter, Adam, you've done, like, how many solicitations do you get a day? And how many do you ignore or just like, ugh, what is this? Brian Reed followed up on a crazy one and got, found a real story there or made the story. I think he deserves a lot of credit for that because I, I think a lot of reporters would have ignored it. And I think to add on to that, Gareth, I think there appears to be things. So I think part of the criticism was, I, I guess we don't want to give anything away, but part of the criticism was is there at one point the the main character of S-Town wasn't in a position to tell the story and it was told for him anyways. But there are parts during his interviews um, with the reporter where he's almost almost begging um, to tell these parts of his life. He's throwing out every hint and suggestion um, about who he is behind closed doors, just hoping to, uh, I mean, for lack of a better term, come out of the closet. And he's able to through this really creative storytelling. And, yeah, on the other hand, Richard Simmons just got to a point where call it what you want, depression, burnout. He just doesn't want to be found. And uh, I don't have a problem with either one of those, though, because I think on the other hand with Richard Simmons, this was someone, not just uh, someone who was a voyeur, but who had a, a close personal relationship with Richard and I think was exploring what it's like to lose a friend, uh, what it's like to uh, have a relationship like that and have someone in your life who brings you that much joy and then for that person to take it away from you and and the people around you so i actually don't have an ethical problem with with either one i enjoyed both series and uh i think it's i mean obviously it's a distraction for the the three of us since we uh since we all listen to it and i i really enjoy the um as much as i enjoy formats like just not sports the weekly format i do also like the um the series format um and no, really knowing that there is a definitive conclusion i thought both did a great job of storytelling yeah actually this is the definitive conclusion to just not sports guys so i did, i, sh- I should have let you know but this is the fi- the finale and neither one of you survived uh real quick i i, well, I think that's booty, a fair analysis rapper stay booty, yeah I, I think it's a fair analysis i i, I think that in s town multiple people entered into the making of a story and the story took a turn I think my ultimate conclusion about missing Richard Simmons, and as the, as as kind of fascinating as I was as I, as I found it, ultimately I, I determined that it feel it felt manufactured to lure him out, and not like th- they went looking for a story and it and it and it just sort of evolved as they went. It it all felt like spectacle to get Richard Simmons to to give everyone closure, and that's why ultimately I felt like it rang a little mm-hmm. bit more hollow. So anyway fascinating i would say check them both out they're both really interesting storytelling all right adam 
I'm going to continue uh, kind of a distraction, but more of a call out to our audience. And Brad, tell me if we have any correspondence. But I asked our audience if they would please reply. Um, we are looking for 10 emails, tweets, Facebook posts, uh, requesting a Just Not Sports outing, uh, conceivably in Chicago. Um, we're, it's up to you, fans, what you want to do. We can go see a sporting event. Uh, we can go bowling. Uh, we can just go to one of Brad's favorite bars that has no uh, light or women <laughs> or decor on the walls. And uh, we can Bird's drink nest. for an afternoon. Bird's nest on Southport. Any of those things we can do. We just want 10 correspondents. And so this is the portion of the show where I don't believe anyone's listening. And so I will just say we can also do this by text at 920-883-5567. Oh, no. There it is. I've done it now for the second twice in the second time in a year. I gave two T-shirts away the last time this happened. Let me get ten texts to that number requesting to just not sports night out, and I will fund the first two rounds of drinks. Done. Okay, there you have it, Gareth. Adam, Adam, preparing to get stalked online or stalked <laughs> on his phone yet again. Uh, and Gareth, any distractions? Yeah, you know what? Um, so. I've got kids. We've talked about that. I don't want to make this, this is going to be a bit of a kid talk, but, uh, my daughter got really into the movie sing, uh, animated film from last year. And it's got a lot of oh, yeah. popular songs in it. And so she was always walking around singing once there was a way to get back homeward. And finally I turned to her. I was like, do you know where that comes from? She was like, no, it's in sing. And I was like, no, 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 it's the Beatles. Do you want to listen to some Beatles? She was like, Daddy, who are the Beatles? And so I've had a really fun time recently rediscovering a lot of the Beatles uh, through the eyes of a five-year-old. And it's pretty fascinating. I mean, look, this is where I wish Joe was on the show. This was sort of my 40-year-old millennial or actually like 60-year-old millennial uh, shout out. It's also why I was thinking about the Beatles joke uh, tweet from earlier that you know, somehow the baby boomers will end up buying all that music once more. But look, the Beatles are one of those things that um, there's really no overstating how great it is. And we were listening to uh, the Golden Slumbers medley or the, the side two of Abbey Road medley because that's where that, that line came from. And she was like, Dad, this is really good. And so then I was like, here, let's play some more. And so I, I played her this video performance of them doing Hey Jude from late in their career on some British show. And she turns to me as they're in the Hey Jude's. And I mean, look, to everyone on this podcast, everyone listening at this point, I mean, Hey Jude is pretty much elevator music to us. It's ignorable. It's it's retail music. And she's hearing the na, 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 Hey Jude for the first time. She turns to me, she goes, dad this is a great song and it was it was really cool just to hear hey jude for the first time again sort of if as close as you can get to that so yeah just you know look it's very cliche and it's very six-year-old millennial to say yeah i'm 
like go listen to the Beatles, but I've had a really fun time listening to the Beatles with my kid and reading about how all that stuff got made. So the Beatles have been my yeah, discussion. Gareth. I, I can I can totally relate because my my four year old um I've had a good time exposing her to her favorite song, which is "We Don't Need Another Hero," the Tina Turner song <laughs> from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Yes. Well done. As a true story. Well done. Really? She yes. she she always says she always says we don't need a, need another hero and I'm like, "Yep, let's do it." And that that line that song literally has lines like all we need is likely on the Thunderdome. <laughs> <laughs> how did she get into that song? So How did she get It's on my iTunes, dude. You should you should listen to a couple weeks ago everyone uh, maybe three or four shows ago, Adam and I broke down Brad's top ten most played on the iTunes. Did not go well for me. <laughs> did not go well for me. No. No, it didn't. <laughs> All right. Didn't. Speaking of not going well uh, for people, let's get into Shaq's, uh, Shaq's posse and his rap career. Adam, you want to give some shout-outs? Uh, yeah, this should have been the cast of Above the Rim, obviously, uh, but they ended up just working at Craft Services. Uh, my boy Uzi, uh, Def Jeff, Lil Swine, Meech, Ron Mack, and uh, uh, hmm, my uh, oh right, my other cousin. Yeah. Ron. And in the immortal the words, words of Shaquille O'Neal, booty, booty rappers, booty rappers, stay above the rim. Stay booty. <laughs> Stay above the rim. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Tupac's not dead. Machiavelli for life. <laughs> <laughs>